Welcome to the State Bar of Texas podcast, your monthly source for conversations and curated content to improve your law practice with your host, Rocky Deer. Hi, and welcome to the State Bar of Texas podcast. According to a story in the online ABA journal, on August 9, 2021, the Federal Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals denied a plaintiff's motion to set aside a summary judgment. The plaintiff's lawyer claimed that he never received the defense's motion for summary judgment because the motion was served via the trial court's e-filing system, but it ended up in the attorney's spam filter. In other words, the plaintiff's attorney technically received the motion, but never saw it or had reason to know that he needed to search for it. According to the article, the plaintiff's lawyer is deciding his client's next step in that case. Now, let me speak for a moment just for myself and not on behalf of the state bar, but that story bothered me. I understand the Fifth Circuit's view, as stated in the article, that lawyers must take responsibility for managing their own email. I get that. But as a practical matter, I'm also painfully aware of how technology can have its snafus. The ABA Journal article begs the question as to what happens when a lawyer receives a filing without really receiving it. I wanted to get to the bottom of this. I needed answers. I needed a hero. And then I remembered that my friend D. Todd Smith from Austin is an appellate specialist at the law firm of Butler Snow, where he specializes in helping trial lawyers preserve error and prepare for possible appellate review. Now, Todd does this by helping trial lawyers with everything from strategy to briefing to jury charges to dispositive motions. But the great thing is, I recall that Todd had released a video in 2020 in which he predicted that Texas courts would adopt automated certificates of service. Interesting, I thought. Well, as it turns out, Todd was correct. And his thoughts and insights on automated certificates of service can be found in the October 2021 edition of the Texas Bar Journal. I wanted to find out from Todd what automated certificates of service mean for Texas lawyers and whether these certificates could prevent the situation we discussed just moments ago that found its way to the Fifth Circuit. Now, full disclosure, I've actually known Todd for many years, and not surprisingly, he graciously agreed to appear on our podcast and talk about automated certificates of service. Todd is our guest today. So Todd Smith, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Rocky. It's great to be here with you today. Here's a question for you. On a day-to-day basis, who cares about certificates of service? Nobody ever reads them. It's, it, why are they important? They're important because that's the mechanism by which the court knows or understands that a document was actually tendered to the other side. If you're the lawyer filing the document, sure. It's only as good as the notice that the other side was provided. And before these automated certificates, we had to rely on all of us adhering to our word and the rules of civil and appellate procedure to actually essentially attest that we provided a copy of the document filed to our opposing counsel. Believe it or not, even in today's world, you see arguments between lawyers about whether something was actually served Mm -hmm. on them or when it was served. And one of the the genesis of this automated certificate of service in part was to try and do away with those kinds of disputes and help drive efficiency, uh, avoid wasting court's time and having to resolve these kinds of disputes because really what they're designed to do is to present almost irrefutable evidence that a document was not only filed through our e-filing system, but was also provided to 
the counsel who are on the list to receive service through the form in which the Supreme Court has mandated that that service occur, which is through email. Well, you know, so I'm I'm thinking back because I'm old enough to remember the prehistoric days before automated certificates and back when we did everything by paper. You know, the certificate of service would that would provide at least some prima facie proof that the document was served, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the document was received unless it's by a certified mail or some other verifiable mechanism. So again, this this goes back to this this question that's been kind of haunting me about service versus actual receipt. Now, can you talk to us a little bit about what an automated certificate of service is and you know whether that really helps us solve the problem or the puzzle of service versus receipt? Let me address the, f- the second part of your question first. Okay, sure. Uh, just very briefly and say, I'm not sure that an automated certificate of service would have avoided the problem that we saw in the Fifth Circuit as mm-hmm. covered by the ABA Journal article. I think ultimately, you know, I'll just go on record as saying the reason that problem was avoidable was there was some issue on the attorney's side. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate the way that that came about, but... Most law firms today have IT professionals who can whitelist certain email addresses for things mm-hmm. to go through and not be filtered by spam. Mm-hmm. It, it might, I suppose, might be a little different in a, in a solo or small firm setting. Sure. But we're all, as lawyers, on notice that we're going to be receiving notices from courts and opposing parties. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got to make sure that we're getting those notices. And so... Unless there was some kind of issue with the spam filter, there was some setting that changed or something like that, you know, the burden, and it's unfortunate how that came came about and what the result was in this situation, but the burden really falls upon the lawyer to make sure that all the settings are correct so that those notices are received. And if there's any doubt, to follow up on that and make sure that, that the settings are appropriate. So... But as to what automated certificates of service are, I mean, we can debate right. that that second point further, Rocky. Yeah, but, I'm sure we can. <laughs> I'm um, sure there's a lot of debate on both sides. Of that <laughs> absolutely, and and justifiably so, I'll, I'll say, because that is a problem, and it's a problem that that lawyers need to be aware of and need to know how to avoid. And I'm happy to to get into that further. But what, as far as what automated certificates of service are in Texas, you know, and, and this has been the case in the federal system for quite some time. We mm. now have, for 10 years or more now, we have a mandatory e-filing in our state court system. And so every document except for pro se litigants that's being submitted to the court is supposed to be submitted through this online portal right. That by which the, the document is processed, is put into the official court file, which, you know, talking about the... Mm-hmm. The, the prehistoric days, it used to be literally a, a file or, you know, a, a Redwell-type folder with flip sections. And oh, yeah. You would have all of the pleadings, every document in a, in a court's file, you would have every document mm-hmm. uh, that was actually physically tendered to the court for filing and had, a, had the ink-based stamp, you know, showing on page one that it had been filed, would actually appear in that record as the official record of the court. I remember the midnight drop boxes going to the going to the night drop boxes to make sure you got something filed on time, and I also remember stories of of lawyers going 
early morning before the clerk of court went and collected documents from the night drop box and getting it there by six in the morning before the clerk got there. So <laughs> those were those were adventures in babysitting. <laughs> yes, and similar stories about complying with the mailbox rule. Right. When right. the mailbox rule was a way of timely submitting court filings without a file stamp on the actual date. That rule, I'm not sure, really practically exists anymore because of e-filing. But, but going back to, to what e-filing is and how it fits with automated certificates of service, you know, every Texas lawyer who files court documents knows what e-filing is and, and by now knows how to use it. And now it's, uh, it's rolled out in all counties in Texas and is being, mm-hmm. in the, I think, in the final stages of rolling it out to all courts in Texas. There's almost no court save for perhaps some justice of the peace courts in some rural counties that aren't using e-filing as the mandatory mechanism for which lawyers are to submit their their documents to the court. So in light of that process, mm-hmm. having now been in place for a decade, you start to think about, all right, we've been able to leverage and gain some efficiency by having these documents submitted electronically. We've gotten rid of the paper. Mm-hmm. And there, there's some obvious benefits to that. I mean, they're not the storage concerns in the in the local courthouses, or even perhaps on the lawyer side too. A lot of lawyers are operating paperlessly uh, sure. or less paper these days. But we had this system in place. It's quite complex of e-filing, but with the data all going in to this sort of centralized system, mm-hmm. and and as I mentioned earlier. This works because Texas also mandated that every lawyer filing documents in the state have an email address for service of process. Sure. Or really, certain service of process is not all that accurate. It's really more service of documents under right, right. Rule 21 of the Texas Rule of Civil, uh, Rules of Civil Procedure and uh, 9.5 of the Rules of Appellate Procedure. Sure. And so, you know, we're all told, all right, you can e-file these documents for requiring it. You have to have an e- email address on file at which you will receive service of documents. And so what the court did at, at that stage was said, all right, you can get you can get service of a document either through the e-filing system. It'll you know mm-hmm. blast out uh, a notice that a document's been filed. You can download the document from there mm-hmm. once the email comes into your system. Or in some circumstances, the, the rules do permit lawyers to serve each other electronically by directly sending an email. Mm-hmm. So the step number one is you got to have an email address at which you can receive e-filed documents. But the Judicial Committee for Information Technology, which I sit on and which works closely with Tyler Technologies, uh, the vendor that, that sure. manages uh, the e-filing system, started having conversations about what can we do to sort of take this to the next level. We've got a lot of opportunity here to remove the human error factor from the equation because even after e-filing came out and we got used to the idea of serving each other by email instead of by hand delivery in the old Mm -hmm. days or regular mail, certified mail or fax, you know, there was still an issue with how can we apply this technology to something that really makes our jobs and our lives easier. And I'm not exactly sure where the idea originated. I will credit Blake Hawthorne, the clerk of the Texas Supreme Court, for being the one uh, affiliated with JCIT who really started 
uh, developing this idea internally within our committee and and fostering it and in, encouraging others to get on board with it. And so what Blake did is he worked with Tyler to develop a protocol by which, let's see if I can explain this simply uh, mm-hmm. without tripping over myself. Whenever a document is filed sure. with the system, through the e-filing system, there would be some kind of automated notification that the parties who are on the service list actually were were sent the document mm-hmm. to their designated email address. Sure. And then eventually the the idea is to show that it was not only received at that address, which addresses part of the concern, right? but the feature that's yet to come, but is in development right now that I think does have the potential to address the concern raised in the ABA article right. is there will be a link through the automated certificate of service that will you'll be able to see if someone actually opened the document. Got so it. you can see the value in this because sure. you will have disputes. Typically, it's you know, something on a short fuse, maybe something discovery related, mm-hmm. where one lawyer says, I serve so-and-so with this document. And the opposing right. counsel says, no, you didn't. And then the judge is faced with having to resolve that dispute. There can be all kinds of issues in which that may arise and a lot at stake uh, based on whether a document was actually served or not. You know, if, if it was not a, not timely filed or served, you know, there can be uh, really harsh consequences to that sort of an outcome. And that's part of what the automated certificates of service are designed to remedy. Let's take a quick break because we need to hear from our sponsor. And then when we come back, we're going to pick up right where we left off. We'll be back with Todd Smith in just a few seconds. Okay, we're back. So, Todd, we were talking about these automated certificates of service and kind of their genesis. So, please tell us more about about how this all came about so that we can kind of understand the, the history behind this. I do want to make sure that we talk about what they are because yeah. we kind of had a, a bit of a, a lead up to that. And I think sure. it is important for, for the lawyers who haven't taken note of this yet to understand what automated certificates of service are. Essentially, the, the e-filing system generates a usually one-page document that's added to the PDF you know, everything we do now uh, in terms of filing and presenting documents in the legal industry and many, many others is through PDF, even though the document right. might have been created in some other some other software, right. such as Word. <coughs> Word Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Word yeah. Perfect. I haven't heard that. That's a whole other conversation. That, that, that's, that's like so early 2000s. Okay. <laughs> well, believe it or not, Rocky, I don't want to go too far afield, but there's a, there's a contingent on Twitter that will stop using word perfect when you pry it from their cold, dead hands. But uh, there's a contingent on Twitter for everything, though. So that's that's understandable. (laughs) But but back to just to really get at what an automated certificate of service is, you know, when a document is e-filed and it's sent to the court in PDF form, the file stamp copy that used to have the ink stamp on the on the front and when it was in paper form is now done electronically. That and now is, at the very top of the page where you can see the the date at, the date and time it was filed and so on and so forth. That's right. It's it's the same information you used to get in the in the paper uh, hard copy, but the document is then made available with a with the stamp on it showing all that relevant information, the day and time. Right. When that document is returned to the filer with the file stamp, the automated certificate of service is a page that the system adds to the end of the document. So your document 
actually, if it, it were 40 pages going out, it's 41 pages coming back. Mm -hmm. The automated certificate of service is added, and it includes the list of case parties and their contacts. So all the lawyers who have appeared and signed up for service in the case. The document also shows the status of service at the time mm -hmm. that the automated certificate of service is created. And the idea there is, you know, because one, one little trick or tricky part of the e-filing system was you might be counsel in a case and you might be on the service list, right? but there, I don't want to say that there were any nefarious goings on happening, but there there were instances in which someone who should have received service did not. Mm -hmm. And one issue with that is that you, in some cases, one had to actually go in and physically uncheck names mm -hmm. off of the service list to prevent someone who should receive service from getting it. Right. Well, here, if everything is set up right from the start, there's no going in and unchecking. Right. The entire service list will receive the notice of the document. And also, you'll be able to see from that automated certificate of service exactly who got it in case there was someone who was left off for whatever reason. I'm sure the system's not perfect. But you can see exactly who got it. And as I was saying uh, earlier in, in our conversation, Another feature of this that's being designed and it's in process right now is the ability to click a link in the automated certificate of service and see not only who got it, but also who whose office has opened and read the document. So let's go to that mm -hmm. Fifth Circuit example. We'll just use that as a hypothetical. If the person who said, and I have no reason to doubt them, that they didn't receive the document mm -hmm. and later found out that it went to their spam, spam filter. Filters. Right. Using the Texas Automated Certificate of Service as it is being developed now, the court or counsel could go to that automated certificate, click on a link, and if mm -hmm. someone else, not the lawyer in that case, but in that situation, uh, if someone else had said, well, we didn't get that document, there would be, if there were going to be evidence to contradict that, that evidence would be potentially right there linked to the Automated Certificate of Service where it might say, well, does you know so-and-so at yourlawfirm.com work for your firm? Yes. Well, according to the, the, the automated certificate of service, the, the link available in it, that person not only received the document on, on X date, but it shows here that they opened it. So you can see the value in, in being able to contradict or at least verify claims like what came up in the Fifth Circuit case as to i you know i didn't get the document what's interesting to me when i when i hear you kind of explaining how these certificates work is i wonder whether we really still need certificates of service in an electronic world i mean it it sounds like this is a way of saying here's who this document was sent to here's who got it and here's who opened it so do we really need a formal thing now called a certificate of service if this is the new world that we're entering into as lawyers I would say that truly the answer is no. Um, okay. if, if this is implemented like it was designed to be, sure. uh, then it would eventually do away with the need for lawyers to attest to service to other parties. Right. So Filing is the service at that point then. Filing would be the service. The key would be making sure everything is set up correctly on the front end. Right. But once it is, then the idea is you would no longer need to include a certificate of service. In fact, you could even say that 
that's the case today, but for the fact that we still have these rules that require certificates of service. Uh, and one reason why you could say that today, aside from the rules, is because just recently, at the end of August, the Office of Court Administration, through Tyler Technologies, mm -hmm. with the blessing of the Texas Supreme Court and the JCIT, mm -hmm. rolled these automated certificates out to every court in Texas that uses e-filing. So for any lawyers who haven't noticed these yet, take a look at the back of your documents because they should be there. Uh, you will see these on your documents now, and you might wonder what they are. And that's that's what this is all about is it's this automated certificate of service that, that's been rolled out behind the scenes. But what your question, Rocky, gets to a bigger issue, which is, well, okay, what do we do now? We have these rules, 21A and uh, in the Texas Rules of Civil Procedure and TRAP 9.5, that still require certificates of service. And you mentioned the, the Texas Bar Journal piece. You know, I point out in that piece that really until the rules officially change, the safest thing to do is to go ahead and include a certificate of service in your documents. I think there are courts out there that aren't really enforcing the certificate of service requirement. Mm -hmm. You know, a year ago, if you had filed a document in certain courts and had not included a certificate of service, your document probably would not have been accepted for e-filing. Right. Because that's one of the things the clerks would look for is, well, mm -hmm. you know, was it properly, not only filed, but properly served. And my understanding now is there are some courts that are no longer using that as a as a reason to bounce a filing because everyone, all the clerks certainly know by now that this automated certificate is out there and is being handled completely behind the scenes with no human effort required, which is one of the beauties of our electronic system, right? Mm -hmm. Is you can have these sorts of automations that I think, as I said earlier, that take the human element out, the, not mm -hmm. only the propensity for human error, but also the human side of these disputes about whether someone actually received a document. So you can see the, the value in this. I mean, it, it's an efficiency tool that we really ought to have. It was a great idea to develop JCIT and Tyler Technologies did that. And so here we have it. The question is, what happens now? Well, and it's, it's, it's interesting too, because you mentioned earlier about pro se litigants. And so if you are an attorney who's got a pro se litigant on the other side, then at that point, presumably you still need an actual physical certificate of service because that pro se litigant may not necessarily have an, they may not be on the e-filing system, in other words. And so it, it, it sounds like what we have to be careful of, and tell me what you think of this, is that as lawyers, yes, at some point, certificates of service may become antiquated as technology kind of gets us out of that, that realm. But then we as lawyers still need to keep our skills up and need to remember about certificates when we're dealing with pro se litigants. So there's still some, there's still some room there where in the future lawyers could end up, could end up trapping themselves because they, they forgot about the certificate requirement because technology no longer required it. I, I don't know if, I don't know what your reaction is to that. I think that's going to be a rare case. A lot of pro se litigants are sophisticated enough to where they are using the e-filing system now. Oh, interesting. Okay. I've seen that happen in, in, a, in a few instances. But the other thing to keep in mind, you're right. I suppose it's possible that someone could glean over that requirement. I guess we should step back and, and acknowledge what that would be. Uh, and this is probably the, the point at which I should mention that there is a, a potential rule change being discussed. 
hmm. that does factor in and, and does treat differently documents that are not served electronically. So if a document is served electronically, then by definition, we don't have this problem that you're mm-hmm. describing sure. because they're going to get the e-service and through the automated certificate. But it's it's usually going to be pro se litigants who are not serving documents electronically. And the um, Supreme Court Rules Advisory Committee had a subcommittee that was studying this issue in anticipation and part of this development of the automated certificate of service and has proposed a rule change that does require documents not served electronically to still be served uh, using the traditional certificate mm-hmm. of service and, and methods. And so the idea is we don't want to prejudice pro se litigants from receiving documents. We, we need to, to factor that in to how this is handled going forward. But in the vast majority of cases where it's lawyer to lawyer, you know, at some point, after a rule change officially, mm-hmm. it, it's going to be the, the rule in Texas that certificates of service are no longer required. I want to go back for a second to the, to the scenario we talked about in the ABA Journal article. Because when we're talking about automated certificates of service, I can't help but kind of think back. And, and you'd mentioned earlier that you didn't think automated certificates would really have much bearing on the Fifth Circuit's outcome in that particular case. Mm-hmm. And if I'm if I'm paraphrasing you correctly, it's it's effectively that yes, as lawyers, we do need to be aware of our spam filters, and this is a known issue. So you've got to make sure your settings are correct. On the other hand, these automated certificates will tell us whether opposing counsel has actually opened the document. The the question I'm sort of juggling around in my head is whether the actual opening of the document is germane to the question, because. With certificates of service, the real issue is receipt, not whether you actually opened and read the document. Is, is, is my understanding on that correct? I mean, really, at the end of the day, the courts don't care whether you receive it, whether you read it, they care whether you received it. And if you received it, now you're charged with abiding by the applicable deadlines for responding to that document. I think that's accurate. And that's why I don't think that the automated certificate would have affected the outcome in the uh, Fifth Circuit case. Because you know the Fifth Circuit system is a little different, but it's it serves the same function. There, right. you have to have an email address, and the duty to serve or to notify in the court's case is discharged by sending the document, whatever it is, to that email address. And mm-hmm. so it does it does impose a little different duty on counsel, you know, to make sure that that those court websites or the e-filing platform and notice platform is the emails from those sites are being received in your system. And so it, it is very unfortunate. I, I would hate to see a client lose rights because a deadline expired mm-hmm. uh, because something got trapped in my spam folder. Absolutely. You know, in, in my firm, I feel confident that that wouldn't happen because we've got IT professionals who are constantly watching what's going on with our emails. And, you know, if there's an issue, they're, they're on it. I think potentially where this is a problem or a potential problem is in a, in a solo or small firm setting, particularly the solos. And I, I don't know what the answer is to that one, mm. frankly, other than, you know, we all, this may tie in somehow to this greater duty of technological competence that right. many, many states have adopted uh, now and it, it sounds harsh to say, but I just don't know that we can claim ignorance 
about what's coming into our our email and but again you know the point for me from my perspective on this is the bigger point of well but you know what if in that situation we were at the next stage of development of the automated certificate and you could tell uh, whether that email had been opened uh, right or not and there would you know if, if there'd been a uh, an inaccurate claim say mm -hmm. that we didn't get the document mm -hmm. then that issue could be resolved rather convincingly in the face <laughs> of, a, of evidence from the automated certificate that uh, the email had in fact not only been received but opened it, it does not solve the the question in the fifth circuit but mm -hmm. um, i don't know I, I don't know what what more there is to say about that other than lawyers especially those of you who don't have dedicated it professionals check all your settings and you should it's probably worth paying someone for a consult to make sure you're getting everything you should be getting and check your spam filter your spam filter every day because you never know what's in there right so you know check it even though you think it's all junk one one kind of final question i wanted to ask you about automated certificates of service. Have any other states adopted these or is Texas kind of at the forefront? And also what about federal courts and automated certificates? Is there any talk there about adopting this, this approach? I don't know about federal courts. It would, it would make sense. I mean, they'd have all the same capabilities through sure. the PACER system. Right. So I think the technology is clearly there. You think about how difficult it is to change a rule uh, mm -hmm. in the state system right. and magnify that by the factor of 10. Mm -hmm. uh, that's probably how accurate it would be as far as how difficult it would be to change a rule in the federal system. Sure, I, I don't have any direct ties to those who study the federal rules and make recommendations on changes, but I would think you know they might want to see how the, the state pilots work out and uh, maybe ours would be an example that would help drive right. change there. Sure. The short answer being, I don't know about the federal system. And really with other states, it's it's kind of the same. I suspect we are, if not the first, one of the first to try this, in part because we're one of the first to mandate e-filing. I mean, it was a really bold mm -hmm. move that the Supreme Court took when it said, you will do this, because in sure. part— what happened was they rolled rolled out e-filing, kind of thinking that it would take care of itself. Everybody would love it and just start using it, and it didn't happen. Right. And so, you know, they, we had to be told you're going to do this. Uh, <laughs> this is this is the the very positive, I think, byproduct of that decision. And so, right. I don't really know what's happening with other states, but I think you know, as usual, Rocky, being Texans, we're we're pioneers. We don't want to wait around for other people to tell us that something's a good idea. No, I, and you know, I I take great pride in the fact that our that that our state, our state bar, our Supreme Court. I mean, we've we've been at the forefront of so many things, and mm -hmm. if if this is yet another one, I kind of I, I admit to a bit of of I don't know if hubris is the right word, but just kind of swelling of the of the chest and saying, okay, you know, we we really are a, a tremendous state when it comes to all this. So. But unfortunately, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking, we are, we are out of time. Who would have thought certificates of service could have been a topic that we could talk about all day, but here we are. So again, I want to thank you, Todd Smith, for, for joining us and for taking time out of your day to acquaint us with these new automated certificates of service. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Rocky. I enjoyed visiting with you. Absolutely. And of course, I want to thank you for tuning in. I want to encourage you to stay safe and be well. COVID is still with us, so please do take all necessary precautions to protect you 
and those around you. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, remember, life's a journey, folks. I'm Rocky Deer, signing off. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Go to TexasBar.com slash podcasts. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Find both the State Bar of Texas and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, the State Bar of Texas, Legal Talk Network, or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.